Welcome to the Privacy Land Podcast with myself, James Shaw and Michael McLaughlin. I was recently asked what is Privacy Learn all about and how does it start? Well, in a nutshell, given that life doesn't come with a manual, Privacy Learn is all about hearing life lessons from the people of all different backgrounds. Why Privacy Learn came about is an interesting one. I lost my parents fairly recently. My mum with cancer and my dad a heart attack pretty much 12 months apart. My dad just before Christmas 2017 and my mum Christmas 2018. This tragic event, which truth be known, I'm unsure I ever got over, got me thinking about life lessons that I could pass on to my own children. My now 11 year old son and my six year old daughter. Now given that they don't listen to me, I was talking to my good friend Mike over a beer about life lessons and Mike himself is a father of two, and he has also lost his own dad. I want my kids to hear advice and life lessons, but only know what I know, and even that, depending on who you ask, isn't worth knowing. So I thought, why not speak to people that have been there, done that, and got the t-shirt? And that is how Previously Learn came about. On this episode of Previously Learn, we had the privilege to be joined by Hollywood feature film and TV producer, Steve Longy. Steve has over 20 years experience and is the president of Longitude Entertainment. Steve is credited with the setting up and co-producing the Academy Award winning film Hacksaw Ridge, directed by Mill Gibson. Full of life lessons, we hope you enjoy this one. Please ask a huge favour as well. Have a listen, review and recommend to one other person. So Steve, welcome to the Previous Learn Podcast. Awesome to have you on, all the way from sunny LA, um, award winning producer. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I'm all right, apart from a few technical issues, but I'm not all good. Glad it's holiday. Technical issues? That never happens. <laughs> What's never happened? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you are an award-winning producer, uh, producer and president of Longitude Entertainment, been in the industry for 20 plus years, developed uh, the film Hacksaw Reed, won various awards on that. How did it all happen? How did it all come about? How did it all come about? Well, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the States, New Jersey is probably about as far away from Hollywood as you could possibly get. Uh, it's about 3,000 miles away in the uh, cold in the winter and the snow, uh, which I am not a big fan of. So, um, But when I was a very young kid, uh, maybe around 10 or 11, I started, I was bitten by the movie Bug. And I grew up on some of the, I think, some of the greatest movies ever made in the 70s and the 80s. And my dad used to take me into New York City a lot to see to see some some of these great films. And I just, I don't know, it must have just already been in my blood or something. But um, I, I wanted to pursue a career in filmmaking at a really young age. Didn't know exactly what that was going to be, you know, how that was going to take form, whether I was going to be a writer, director, producer. You know, I didn't know. I mean, it's... At 11 years old, I didn't even know what a producer did, but I started making Super 8 movies in my backyard. So I had a Super 8 movie camera and I would build these little miniatures in the backyard and little houses and little villages and things. And I'd either, you know, flood them or light them on fire and then I would film them. And, uh, and that was my start early on. And then I used to uh, enlist all the kids from the neighborhood. Once I got a, uh, I moved up to a uh, sound camera. 
So uh, I was making a big epic sound film and I used my garage as my sound stage. And uh, we'd be up on my roof, running around on the roof of filming uh, up there. And uh, I used to recruit the kids from the neighborhood to, to act in all the various roles and things. So, um, so I had this passion at a really young age and um, didn't do real well in school. Uh, didn't wasn't able to graduate high school with everybody else. I I kind of failed out of high school. wasn't wasn't real good at the whole school thing. Um, had to go to summer school and make up um, for the classes that I missed. Ultimately, I did graduate. I went on to attend a number of colleges. Um, so uh, my school career wasn't wasn't exactly uh, award winning. Let's say. But um, but I was I was more into wanting to get out into the world and and actually uh, start making movies and start getting involved. And I'm a pretty pragmatic kind of guy. So um, so kind of real life experiences and things were, were what were important to me. Um, I felt like school was just, you know, they were teaching me algebra, too, and a bunch of things that I, w I was just never going to use in real life. So I, I didn't really connect with the whole uh, school thing, uh, although uh, I feel like, you know, I've really pursued self-education quite a bit because I read a lot. I, I read the newspaper every day. You know, I try to stay up on things and um, I've tried to educate myself, but um, but more more in the in the fields that I am attracted to, like history. You know, math wasn't my big subject, but history, I loved history, right? Learning about all the things that have, that have gone on and, and all the things that have happened that, that led to where we are today. So I, I really dig that. So um, I think, you know, that's probably why I'm uh, a big fan of true stories, uh, of which Hacksaw Ridge was one. one. But uh, I make all kinds of movies. Um, but I would say, uh, just getting back to your question, yeah, it was when I was... Uh, when I was probably about ten or eleven years old, I was just uh, I was just taken with uh, with wanting to pursue a career in the movie business, and um, and then when I turned twenty one, uh, having not been very successful at attending college, I uh, put all threw all my stuff in my car and just headed west on Route eighty to Los Angeles, and uh, it took me about three days to get here, but uh, finally arrived. Geez, so that's a bit of a gamble, right? So. Were you nervous, or were you apprehensive about what's in front of you? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So I don't mean to make it sound so easy because I, I made the decision to move, and then I probably spent about the next year and a half preparing myself for the move. So I knew I was going to have to drive my car across country. So I'm getting my car fixed up. You know, I was selling things because I knew I could only bring you know what I could fit in my car. So um, yeah, I was incredibly nervous, and in fact, um, my friends. Uh, saw me off uh, on the first day and uh, I drove for about six or seven hours. I made it to Ohio and I remember I had I had a really bad headache. I felt miserable. I started to question, is this the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Like, what have I done? Like, it was a really strange moment because, you know, I planned this for a full year and now I'm doing it. But right in the midst of doing it, I kind of stopped myself and I said, like, what am I doing? All right. Which that is really scary. And I decided that night, I said, all right, I'm going to go to sleep. If I wake up and I feel the same way tomorrow morning, I'm going to turn around and go back home. And if not, I'm going to continue on. And I woke up in a good mood, got in the car, 
drove for another 12 hours. And uh, by day two, I was, I was nearly uh, halfway across country. <laughs> so yeah, I was ter- I was terrified. Honestly, yes. once you got over halfway in here and then let's go home anyway, so you might as well carry on, right? I figured there was no turning back. Yeah, there was no turning back at that point. I had sold all my stuff and moved out of my apartment and, and you know, said goodbye to everybody. And uh, and yeah, I just I just figured, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And I, and I did. Was that a confidence in yourself that you knew you were going to do it? Or was it the challenge that you wanted to take on? I think it was ignorance, actually. <laughs> um, I think it may have been... I mean, I'm trying to remember my mind frame back then, but... Um, you know, I think I was so young and so naive that I just really didn't know any better. So I wasn't, I wasn't focused on like what could go wrong so much. I was just focused on getting out of where I was, you know, like extricating myself from the situation I was in. And I knew that at the very least, the weather would be better. Right. (laughs) So, so I knew, you know, that would be an improvement for sure. And, um, and that would be something I'd be happy about. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know, you know, like I said, after, after the end of that first leg on my drive, I was questioning it. So I don't know how well, you know, how confident I was or whether I was looking at it as, oh yeah, I'm going to conquer this challenge. I think it was just naivete and, you know, I had this dream, I was passionate about it and I was going to pursue my dream and see where it took me. Obviously, you're in the film industry, a producer, all being a producer. How important is storytelling, especially in the current climate where the world's absolutely bonkers at the moment? For me, and storytelling is everything. So I'm I'm a creative producer, which means that I'm usually the first one involved in a project. I'm the one that's optioning the rights to a book or to a screenplay or just to somebody's true story. And I, I then develop that. I either hire a writer, work with a writer to develop that into a screenplay. Then we take the screenplay. We try to attach a director. We try to attach talent. We go out, we look for financing. We try to set it up with a studio or a financier who will continue the development. And, um, and so for me, I, it starts with the story first and foremost, um, when we're shooting the film, I, uh, insist on having the writer on set and, uh, on almost every film I've made, the writer has been on set because you're literally doing rewrites, like on the day you're shooting or the night before you're rewriting the script. So story at that point becomes everything. I'm very story driven. And yeah, you mentioned the, you know, the state of the world. Uh, I got into the film business because I wanted to tell stories that were about something. I wanted to uh, uh, be uh, affect the culture in a positive way. And that's where Hacksaw Ridge, I think, comes in. That's like the perfect sweet spot for a movie that, you know, I would want to produce. Um, not all the movies I've produced, <clears throat> you know, fall into that. Some are comedies, but I feel like for me, what I'm trying to do is, again, affect the culture and make a positive impact on the world. So, yeah, the the, the state of the world is uh, something that's on my mind. And storytelling is my way of trying to affect that in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it, you obviously must meet a lot of uh, writers and young aspiring writers. What, what kind of advice do you give those folks when you're meeting them or maybe they don't have the perfect story just yet or or whatever what sort of advice would you give to a young person looking to get into film writing etc 
Well, I think, you know, a lot of times my advice, what I've, what I've kind of learned in, in my older age is that, um, is the art of imperfection. So this is, this is something that I say a lot. I, I post this quite a bit that sometimes you have to go the wrong way to get to the right way. And I find that it's like almost all the time you have to go the wrong way to get to the right way. And I talk about Thomas Edison, um, who was, uh, you know, one of the greatest inventors uh, of all time, probably. And Edison used to say uh, he didn't fail a thousand times trying to do something. He just learned a thousand different ways it wouldn't work. So I'm, I'm big on like perception and how you frame things. And so what I would tell younger writers who are struggling or who maybe haven't found the success it's, you know, it's to keep going and to, 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 to not worry so much about whether or not you're doing the right thing, the wrong thing, or if your work is good enough. It's to just keep, keep doing the work, keep getting feedback, keep getting it out there and keep evolving as a writer. But going through the process is, is also what I, what I talk about. Um, and process is really a lot about uh, taking action and not having success and then learning from taking that action and then redrawing your game plan and then going back at, at it again. So how do you deal with that um, setback and not getting the success first of all? Are you quite resilient as a person anyway? Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, look, I, I, get, I, uh, I have my days where I get discouraged and I have to uh, kind of sit here and remind myself of, of all of these things that I rely on, you know, that, that, that I'm hoping will lead me to success. And, you know, one of those things is to just take action, um, good or bad, you know, whether, whether you feel like it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing, do I just try to do something to, to jar me out of it, um, and to just keep moving and, trying not to let my mindset dictate my the action that I take right because that's what happens we we get in our heads we get down on on the process or we get down on ourselves because that's a big one right because I always say you're like the biggest obstacle you're ever going to face in life that's going to be you that's not going to be anything external that's going to probably be something internally inside you so um you know, in order to move through those days, I just kind of, I, I let, I let those feelings come in. You know, I feel the depression. I feel, you know, the angst. I feel the frustration, but I don't let that dictate the action. So I try to separate those two things out. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say most days are, are quite challenging in this business because, um, yeah, you don't see a lot of immediate success. It is, it's really process oriented and, and sometimes, you know, somebody could pass on one project and then that opens the door for you to bring something else to them that then they want to do all of a sudden. And then you're like, oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, you know, I've had that happen where we're like pitching a project to somebody and they pass on it, or, or if I've had a situation where people, you know, have passed on, on something that we've pitch them and then all of a sudden we're talking about something new and they wind up doing that project so I've seen that happen so um i think for me it's a little bit easier than people who are just starting out because i've had success and so i know that 
it's there, it's attainable, but we got to move through this process and all of this, you know, um, all these setbacks and frustrations in order to get there. So on the flip side, talking about success, Hacksaw Ridge, um, six Academy Award nominations, two wins. How good did that feel? Uh, yeah, it felt, it, I mean, it's incredible. It's my dreams, it's all my dreams coming true. Um, but honestly, for me, I'm always thinking about how can I top that? Like we didn't win best picture. So I'm thinking, okay, the projects that I'm working on now, how can, you know, and, and by the way, I'm not necessarily thinking, okay, you know, how can I win an Academy Award? That's really not the first and foremost thing. Although that is a, a great achievement and I want to be able to be doing work that gets that, those kinds of accolades. But um, like with Hacksaw, it was really more about, okay, this, you know, yeah, this is great, but how can I top this, right? So, so and maybe that's just part of my personality. I don't know. But uh, I'm always striving. Like, I'm always striving to be better, always striving to improve on what is. Um, yes, it feels good. But honestly, like when you're, when you're inside of it, um, I, I think it's a different sort of perspective. It's definitely a different perspective from somebody who's on the outside looking in. And I guess you start thinking about, or, or I guess all of the hard work and all of the challenges, um, kind of make that, put that in, in perspective. So you kind of feel like, okay, yeah, that it should win. It should win something. Right. So there's a little bit of that maybe, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's an incredible feeling. But uh, yeah, I want to know how I can top it. <laughs> so in terms of films, I'm mean, like, you've worked with some really, really big names, right? So Mel Gibson, I'm going to read about Scorny Weaver, Whoopi Goldberg, Robert Downey Jr., Rebel Wilson, Ray Liotta, just to name a few. Big characters, big names. How do you deal with those kind of people? You know, do, do they do managing or... Uh, you know, I've been really fortunate in my career not to have, like, run across anybody who's you know, difficult, I guess, quote unquote. And, uh, you know, you find that people at the, at a high level are, are the like consummate professionals for the most part. So I would say that all of those folks you mentioned were a real pleasure to deal with, you know, which maybe you wouldn't expect that answer, but, uh, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, for example, what, what an incredible woman, um, when I showed up on the set, I was just working as an assistant at the time and we were shooting in North Carolina. So we traveled from LA to North Carolina and, uh, the film was already in production by the time I got there. And when I arrived on the set, Whoopi Goldberg came up to me and introduced herself. And I mean, that blew me away, but that tells you about her professionalism and that tells you about how you know what she's how she approaches her craft and she takes this very seriously and she was aware of everybody that was on that set and when they were on that set and she wanted to make sure she was saying hello to the to, to, the, to her crew to her team wanted to make sure that you know they knew that she was recognizing that they were there and that they were working hard to make her look good Right. So very, very smart. Also, the other thing that Whoopi Goldberg did was she said, look, I'm, you know, I'm going to have uh, my personal chiropractor on set full time and he's not here. He's here for me. Yes, but he's also here for the crew. So if anybody wants to get an adjustment or a massage or whatever, you know, 
make an appointment, you know, come see my, my assistant or whatever, make an appointment and, and the, my chiropractor will take care of you, which was an incredibly gracious gesture. So she was lovely to work with, you know, on set. Uh, Ray Liotta, another guy, so gracious. He would come into the office and the assistants would all be like scurrying around like, oh, can I get you a drink? Can I get you something? And he was like, just tell me where it is. I'll get it myself. Like, you know, um, just mind blowing because major stars and Robert Downey Jr., another guy, major, major star. So humble, so grounded, so kind and polite on the set, so professional. And I think for the most part, this is the marker of someone who is at a high level and and who is a professional. They these folks are like this and they're a real pleasure to work with. Um, At least the people that I've worked with, they've all been like that. I've only run across maybe one or two who maybe are a little irascible at the beginning, um, but they kind of fall into line. And I think once they know they can trust the people around them, because that's that's important for an actor. Uh, an actor wants to know that they're in good hands, especially with a director. And a lot, a lot of times an actor will test a director to see if that director has it in him to kind of stand his ground. That happens a lot on the film. And because, you know, actors and, and you know, people can be insecure and they want to know that people have their backs and that they're, they're going to look good, right? That's interesting. Really interesting. Big question for you then. So in terms of filmmaking, what lesson have you learned from filmmaking? Um, you know, there, there's so many. Um, and I try to post, I, I've tried to take everything I've learned that's been helpful and I try to post it on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, YouTube, you know, I'm, all, I'm on these various, uh, Twitter, I'm on all, uh, or X, I'm on, on all the uh, social media sites and, and uh, I think that's how we, we came together. But um, but there are there are lots of things I've learned, you know, like, where do I begin? Um, I guess with filmmaking, filmmaking is really about preparation, Um, you know, and I kind of I kind of think like life is a lot about preparation. So if I'm going to if I'm meeting somebody, you know, I do a lot of homework on who I'm meeting with. I try to get to know, you know, their background as, as much as possible. So I, I just try to prepare, um, <clears throat> you know, being early. That's another one. Let's try to be on time. Um, I, I mean, all of these things that I think cross over into other fields. Uh, it, it's, it's a tough question to answer because I could sit here for a few hours and, and talk about all the lessons I've learned. But um, maybe the biggest one is I've, I've learned to kind of believe in myself. You know, like I, I said before, you know, the biggest obstacle in life I think you're going to face is is yourself. It's all the self-doubt, you know, and it's all of the, um, I guess, you know, we sort of create this idea in our minds about, you know, the obstacles we're going to face and how are we going to get beyond these obstacles and how are we going to do this? And am I good enough? And, you know, and all of that, uh, which is very normal, I think everybody goes through that um that's the biggest challenge in the day and so i say this is something i've learned um every day you're having a conversation with yourself okay there's an internal dialogue going on that you're having with yourself and i think the more awareness we can bring to that conversation the better off we can become 
right? Because we can start to listen to that inner voice more and we can start to change what that inner voice is saying. Because a lot of times that inner voice is negative or critical, okay? And that inner voice can be influenced by parents, teachers, coaches, a lot of, a lot of people we've come in contact in our lives start to create that voice and it starts to get inside our head and then we start to have that conversation. And I always say, if you could change that conversation with yourself, you know, you can start to change the way you feel about yourself. And if you can start to, and if you could change the way you feel about yourself, then you'll start to take action more and you'll, you'll be less afraid at striking out and, 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 and taking imperfect action and making mistakes. You won't be so you know, resonant about that, maybe. So, you know, it's just like a couple of things I've learned. Do you let that, that dealing with that kind of, do you let your craft deal with that as well so you can resonate that in your work? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I look for stories that kind of go a little deeper into the human experience. So all of that <clears throat> philosophy, which I which I, I call it carefreeness, I kind of given it, you know, a name, other people have coined it, but um, which carefreeness in essence is um, understanding that um, it's not it's not what happens to you that creates your rela- reality or your life. It's how you react to things that creates your reality in life, and that's a huge that's a huge adjustment in perspective. Okay, so. Um, so when I'm looking for material, I guess I'm looking for the deeper meaning, you know, in Hacksaw Ridge, that was really a story about a guy who doesn't change. It's a really um, unconventional story with respect to storytelling, where you have a main character who evolves. Um, this is what we call like an angel story. So in Hacksaw Ridge, the main character actually doesn't evolve. He is who he is in the beginning of the movie. He has his faith and he has his conviction. And it's really everybody around him who winds up changing in the movie. And, uh, you know, and that's what I kind of connected to. Um, having this, having a strong conviction and trusting your instincts and not being affected by the external forces that are coming at you so in that regard i think um you know yeah in the way i choose material my philosophy i'm looking for in that material i'm looking for shades of this philosophy which is an empowering philosophy okay uh which which is um a lot like stoic philosophy uh, it's a lot like course and miracles so carefreeness in itself borrows on a lot of these philosophies it borrows on a lot of religious tenets you know do unto others or uh, karma you know the, the idea of karma the concept of karma uh the concept of duality all of these principles i i try to use them in my work yes absolutely they 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 uh they translate into my work yeah i must admit i the older i get the more story i get as well and it's you know things happen and it's exactly what you touched upon. It happens, but it's how I react to it that counts. Because it's going to happen. Only I feel like how I feel. And it's down to me to react to how I do, you know. And that, I think that comes with age. Or it comes with events that lead it on to happen. But um, in terms of Hacksaw, I'm like, that is a very noble story. Was it? It's a true story. Conscious of the director during World War II won a Medal of Honor without firing a shot. 
stuck to his convictions and when the whole world around him is saying one thing and he's doing the other, that's really no right for one person to stand up and say, no, this is my belief and I'm sticking to it. It's a great story. I mean, um, very, very inspiring for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, Desmond's conviction, that's something else, you know, obviously I take it in my work, you know, passion is a very overused word in the, in the movie industry, but passion is pretty much what drives everything. So, um, so passion, conviction in a screenplay, in in an idea, um, all, all of these things come to play for sure. You mentioned something earlier on that, um, you had a real kind of passion for history. What kind of things can, you know, relate back into movies and what kind of things can we learn from history, do you reckon, in this, certainly this day and age at the moment? Yeah, well, um, the movie business itself, you know, the history of, of, of the film business, which is something that I'm really, really into. Um, and so you guys may have seen some of the videos I've done, History of Hollywood, where, you know, I mean, the last one, I think I went to Chasen's, which uh, was a big, uh, was a really fancy restaurant. They used to hold all the Academy Awards and people used to take power lunches back in the day. Um, and I like, you know, looking back to kind of predict what's going to happen in the future. So I, I think, yeah, I think past is prologue for sure. And, you know, the movie business, you can kind of see the evolution of it. When TV was, was invented, right, that was kind of a watershed moment. Um, and I think, you know, when the internet uh, came into being, uh, that was kind of another uh, watershed moment in, in, our, in everyone's life. Um, so it definitely affected the movie and TV industry. Uh, and now with distribution, digital distribution, that's another, you know, big thing that's happening. Um, movies are evolving. Now we've got streaming. So yeah, history is, it's really important to look back at the history to kind of figure out, all right, where do we go from here with all of the new technology and changes in the industry? Um, and right now, you know, you just last year, we just had two major strikes. We're in the midst of another strike with IATSE. Th those strikes reflect changing times. And, um, you know, we're, this is not just in the movie business. This is the world right now is, is in a watershed moment. There are a lot of things going on in the world that are going to determine the next, you know, 50 to a hundred years. And, uh, it's an important moment in time. So yeah, his history is, uh, has a, has a huge relevance, I think, in what's going on right now across the board. I was going to ask about that. How, how do you think the that AI is going to impact specifically the movie industry? I, I'm pretty sure there's a massive wider societal piece, but specifically with the movies, what do, what's your thoughts on AI and what it's going to do? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I want to say that the human element is always going to be the thing that that trumps AI. Okay. But, uh, but I do, I do, I also don't want to be naive about that. Um, in the sense that, you know, will we get to a point where AI can approximate something that feels like human emotion? And, you know, we very well may. Um, and I don't know. Um, and, and you know, I think, I think that, can be as valid as anything, you know, uh, because as long as it's connect, as long as people are connecting with it, how it was created probably isn't going to matter so much. 
Um, right. So I think, you know, for people inside the business, we think a lot about, you know, certain things that are important to us, like film credits and, you know, movie opening credits and end credits and what our credit is. And, you know, and we, we kind of lose sight as to, okay, the audience doesn't really care about that. Right. You know, there's, there's the audience, they care about, is this an entertaining, satisfying experience. That's really at the end of the day what an audience cares about. So if you're if you're satisfying an audience, what happens, you know, behind the scenes, I think they're gonna be less they're less concerned about. If a movie is not good, it's not good. Okay. And if it was created by AI, then yeah, AI shouldn't make movies. But you know, there's probably gonna come a day where there's gonna be a film written by some kind of, you know, um other technology. And it may be, be a very good movie, actually. Um, that's really hard to do. And, you know, that's really hard to do for even the most talented writer. So it's probably not going to be easy for AI. Um, but regardless, I think it's I think it's going to be how how the how an audience reacts. And I don't think they're worried about how it's being created now on the legal side of things. Right. On the on the business side of things. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of disruption there for sure. Because where where is all of this creativity coming from in this artificial intelligence? And you see now there are lawsuits being, um, you know, lodged against AI because AI is borrowing or yeah taking from uh, protected copywritten work, and that's a huge issue. So. I think on that side of things, there's going to be a lot of disruption. But I think for an audience, is it good? They're going to be the determining factor in that. Does it make money? Th- those are just real easy metrics to 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 you know kind of uh, measure. So so at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Uh, I read a, a really interesting piece that um, you, you could basically get a film at some point in the future that was specifically designed towards your taste and what you've previously watched. So you look at your Netflix kind of uh, programming and eventually they'll be, you'll be able to press a button and 20 minutes later, there will be a, a film in the sci-fi genre that you, you, cause you've watched these previous 20 movies. Um, that was a concept that blew my mind. I, I, working technology so uh, all of these sorts of things you sit there and go wow but i don't believe you ultimately the human touch will probably always win out i mean at the end of the day it's all human touch because ai is just drawing from you know um uh, works that have been created by uh, human beings <laughs> so um so there's you know so it, it it's not like you know a cold metallic machine uh it's it's drawing on create creations right it's drawing on stuff that's that's out there yeah i I don't know uh do i want to see a movie that's designed exactly for me not really i want to be exposed to things that maybe i wouldn't have been exposed to okay Um, is is there room for something like that yeah there probably is and that's fine and that might be a good revenue stream, actually, that that helps. You know, you look at the the, the the Marvel movies, the DC movies today that that sometimes people get down on them because they're you know comic book movies or they're empty or whatever. Not not all of them are, obviously. But um that entertainment 
allows for everything else to continue on. So, so it serves a, a real and, and positive purpose. You know, um, this is a business and we've got to make money and, and we've got to sustain the business. And, and, you know, theaters, uh, if theaters can't, you know, if audiences aren't going out to see movies, if there aren't movies that are good enough to get people to want to leave their homes, then that, that all goes away. So, you know, um, we need that, we need movies, whether they're created by AI or, you know, or, or or just talented writers and directors and producers, we, we need, we still need something that helps prop up everything else that may not be as strong. So yeah, it's all, it's all good. You know, I'm not opposed to any kind of filmmaking and, uh, there's always going to be some human element involved. I, I think. I think, yeah, a hundred percent. I think as well with films, why people love it. It's the escapism, the the emotion behind it. You want to be scared. I want to laugh. I want to cry. You want it compacting between ninety minutes and two hours. It's amazing. You you want to get away from it. What you feel? You know. The biggest thing you hear in the movie business, okay, when someone actually, and I think it's be helpful for writers. So when someone uh, reads a script and they love it, this is this is what I would hear. You hear like you hear this all the time. I had no idea where it's going. Right? It's like they're on a ride but you can't see the tracks ahead of you. So you're twisting and you're turning and, and that's what keeps you engaged. So if it's a movie that's just feeding you what you want to see and hear, I don't know how much of that element is still there, right? Because if maybe it's, it's predictable, nobody wants to watch a movie that's predictable, right? You want to, you want to watch a movie where you have no idea where it's going. Where is it taking you? You want it to grab you and take you on a journey, take you on a ride. Right. It's like an amusement park ride. That's how you should think about it. So to me, yeah, what what the the, the discovery part of it and the not knowing part of it, you know, is what is is most of the thing that keeps you engaged to it, I think. Um, you know, I think Netflix does a version of what you guys are talking about now where they say, 97 percent, you'll see this at the top of the screen, uh, a 97 percent match. Like, in other words, you've told them or they, they've, they've used their AI to go through everything you've watched and they're trying to figure out, okay, is he going to like this? Because it's kind of like all the other stuff he watched. So he should probably like this. That I think is kind of cool. But if you look at like what they're saying, like your 97% matches, it's, it's never like a hundred percent, right? It's just kind of guessing at what your taste is so i don't know can we can we actually figure out what someone's taste is probably is the ai to that point right now i don't know probably not but you know there's some good applications for that and then i think there's there's you know so there's the known and then i think there's the unknown so it's good for the known and then there's still going to be room for that all the unknown right because i may watch something on netflix that isn't like anything else on there and I'm like, oh wow, this is great. This is something that I never, uh, I never thought I was into before. Yeah, well, how much say exactly that? Sorry, and so that three, that three percent, you might find an absolute gem in there, and you wouldn't have it otherwise, you know. Yeah, I was going to say I was reading your LinkedIn, and uh, you've got a great little sort of cartoon. There's like the the person where the keys open the cage for the bird, and the bird's like, well, the cage is all I know. Um, and I think that yeah, that three percent could be the key. It could be uh funny. What was it? Six Sense. That was a film that as a kid I just remember bang. 
Um, yeah. Oh, he's dead. Oh, sorry. Spoiler on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Spoiler. Yeah. Rosebud is a sled. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's uh, just getting back to the AI of it all. I think that yeah, that's one that's one good usage of the AI. Getting back to the carefreeness philosophy, yeah, the cage is that thing in our minds that that keeps us, you know, in, in place, that keeps us in our comfort zone, that keeps us safe, right? And you and to move outside that cage, that's where you're taking that imperfect action. That's where you're you know, exploring, going places you've never gone before and yeah, opening your horizons, learning new things and growing, uh, you know, so now, now you're not just a bird that flies in a cage, you're a bird that flies around in the air. So, um, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's why I was attracted to that cartoon because I think, I think it relates to my underlying philosophy of, of carefreeness. It relates to that inner dialogue you're having, like, God, we got to stay in the cage, you know? We can't go outside the cage. The cage, you know, how are we going to go outside the cage? The cage is keeping us here. You know, it's that it's that inner dialogue, right? That's it's keeping you in the cage. You touched on earlier as well, exactly right about the um, your prolific on social media and some of the stuff you post on that is absolutely amazing. To get a, a top LA producer putting this kind of stuff out there, is that very important for you to pay it for? Because you don't have to do that, but you do it. Is that important for you to do that to, to kind of pay forward? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's just kind of person I am. Um, you know, I, I often say that a lot of times, you know, you can kind of figure out a lot about a, a person's personality or who they are by, by their work. You know, if you look at a, a producer's work and can kind of see the stories and things that they're attracted to, you can kind of get a feel for who that person is. So I like stuff that's, you know, really inspirational. That's really uplifting that, that, um, is kind of help helping um, the world, doing something positive for for the culture. Um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, so I kind of have that naturally inside of me. Um, you know, there are, there are other reasons to to post and to be on social media. I meet lots of people. I also have a consulting business, so uh, you know, I I that it's a it's a money making thing too. Um, and, uh, but you know, with that, I, I try to give back as well. I, I, I give money back guarantee on all my services products. You know, I'm not here, I'm not here to try to take money from people. I'm, I am here to be of service. And that's something else I've learned in life is to always go into situations and be of service, right? Try to figure out what it, what it is of value that you can bring to the equation. Right. So instead of going out and trying to get something to reframe that and say, I'm going out and I'm trying to give something, that's how you actually get. You get more by giving. So maybe the posting and the social media is a, more, is a selfish thing, too, in some regard, because I understand that the more I give, the more I get. So a small question for you. What would you like your legacy to be? Uh, you know, I just, I want to be known as a great producer. I make great movies that people saw in the first place. Cause you know, these days not a lot of people see, you know, movies, uh, movies are all, all over. So, uh, it's kind of spread out, but, uh, you know, movies that, that are hugely popular and successful that audiences respond to that have a uplift, uplifting positive effect, whether it's just something that was entertaining or something that made people think and, and, and move in a more positive direction or, 
believe in themselves more. That's that's my thing. My my goal is to is to bring something more positive, and uh, you know, I'm here to help. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to give back and I'm, uh, let, I'm trying to give back more than I'm taking. Um, so that's kind of, that's just kind of my whole thing. No, you can certainly, you can certainly see that on social media. I'm like the fact that you've actually one replied to my email and two agreed to come on. I'm like, that's, do, do you know what? I'm like saying before that obviously I've lost my parents, Mike's lost his dad, really tough times, but. If I can get one positive from it, it's getting to speak to the likes of yourself and learning life lessons from people like yourself. It's absolutely amazing. I think you've got to look for positives in every situation. And for you to take that time on us and take a chance on us to have this conversation, I can't thank you enough for that. My my pleasure. And uh, you know, just to, you know, I'll circle it back to what we were talking about before, but you know, things will happen to you in life and you may think, okay, right. So so Things are going to happen to you, like you said before. It's then up to you to react, right? So it's your, it's you're in control of your reaction. You're not in control of what happens to you, but you're in control of your reaction. Now, right? So your your folks passed away, mine have passed away as well, and that's that's a tough thing to deal with. Um, you know, you never get over it, probably. But um, but there's there's different ways of of dealing with it. And, um, and what puts this in perspective, maybe more than anything is you can think about it this way. You may, you may have thought in the moment, this is the worst thing that could happen. I've lost both my parents and that may in the moment be the worst thing that's happened, but five years from now, you going through this podcast and getting all of this great positive knowledge and information that really bad thing you may think maybe wasn't so bad after all because all of this good stuff came from it which is what you're looking to achieve when i love that because that in its core is the basis of my philosophy and how i operate so you think about it that way it's perspective what might be the worst thing that happened to you today you know that could be the thing like you get fired from the job and and that's the thing that gets you into your new job, which becomes the best job and your purpose in life, maybe, uh, for the rest of your life. So, but you don't know that at the moment. You only know that in pers- in the perspective of it, right? T- after time goes by. So that's why I say that that's my proof, right? That that that's my backup for it's not what happens. It's how you respond to what happens. And it's and it's your it's only your response, your perspective in that moment. So that's gonna change. Okay. So so that's that I hope is comforting for people who are going through tough times. Listen, I'm very, very conscious of your time. It's you're a very busy person, very full person. Thank you very, very much. Um yeah, guys, that I thank you because what you're doing is fantastic and uh, I think it will help a lot of people. And hey, you know, if anybody has any questions for me about filmmaking, uh, about the writing process, about, you know, uh, marketing your screenplay, uh, my carefreeness philosophy, philosophy, you can check me out at uh, longitudeentertainment.com. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Steve Longy. I'm, I'm on there um, as Steve Longy on LinkedIn or 
Facebook um, as Longitude Entertainment. Um, so yeah, you can reach out and ask me questions and uh, happy to answer uh, questions as well. We really hope you enjoyed our chat with Steve. A couple of key insights for me. Firstly, the concept of carefreeness. You're in control of your own reaction. Maybe not what has happened to you, but you can control your reaction to it. Secondly, you get more by giving. Three, the art of imperfection. And lastly, we are ourselves our own biggest obstacle. Thank you very much again for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And please, as I say, if you could recommend it to one other person, that'd be fantastic. Until next time, see you later. <laughs>